0: Let's go ahead and uh, open in prayer as we are going to look at God's word from Exodus 31 and 32 this evening. Father, we thank you for this time to come together, to gather, to worship you, to lift up our voices in song and praise and adoration, to Lord have the youth, the children gather in the building as well. And for those who are listening on the radio tonight or maybe through Uh, social media or through the video feed on our website we just pray father that your will would be done in this place and uh, through the words spoken no matter where those words might be heard tonight so we ask father that your grace would be with us as we look into your word help us to learn from your word Help us, Lord, to gain courage from it. And we thank you, Lord, for the examples of the men and women that you give us from Scripture that we can learn from both the good and bad, from positive things that we find done or from negative things that we find done. Lord, you're able to teach us through these things. So teach us this night, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. That got loud. All right. So tonight we're looking at Exodus 31 and 32. And I titled the overall study, If You Will Not Forgive. And these words uh, coming from the mouth of Moses to God. And really, we find that God does a work in the heart of Moses when he says these words. Um, Moses was not challenging God's authority. But I believe that God was working, in Moses' heart in such a way that we find that someone who did not want to be Israel's deliverer got to the point to where he was willing to have his name blotted out of the Lord's book of life if God refused to continue to go on with Israel. And so it's not that Moses, with these words, if you will not forgive, was threatening God— But I believe it's really exposing the heart of Moses as the spiritual leader that God knew he could be when he called him to deliver the children of Israel. But that has to wait till chapter 32. In chapter 31, we find that God calls, equips and fills those whom he is going to use in the building of the tabernacle. And for the priestly garments, all the things connected to the tabernacle, we've been looking at those things here of late, and now he's had the blueprints, the specifications, I've mentioned that in the last few weeks, but now God gives the people who would be in charge, and he actually, I love this, he fills... Two men with his spirit, more than just two will discover, but names two of the men, fills with the spirit of God that they might build the tabernacle of God for the people of God. So we find a key verse for me is in verse 13 that says, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And so God reminding them at the end of Moses' time on Mount Sinai, he reminds Moses the very last thing, remember the Sabbath. And we'll look at that as we get toward the end of the chapter. We begin in verses 1 through 5, we find... In the shadow of God's protection, it might seem an odd name for this section, but it's actually the meaning of Bezael, the name of the son of Uri, the son of Hur, from the tribe of Judah, who God calls by name, and had filled him with the Spirit of God, gave him wisdom, gave him understanding and knowledge, all manners of workmanship to design artistic works, works in gold, in silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. Mike, could you turn this down just a little bit and get a little echo up here? So anyways, Bizael... His name means in the shadow of God's protection, and I I thought that was kind of unique as I was looking at that this morning, really thinking about it this morning that, well, the names are given by the parents, right? This is something that a parent gives to their child. I I wasn't very original with my son. I was, uh, my dad was John. I'm John. I named my son John. Didn't do a lot of thinking about that. I just knew if I had a boy, I wanted to name him John. My dad made sure that we didn't have the same exact name, so uh, I have a different middle name than my dad. So I made sure that my son has a different middle name than I had and that my dad had, uh, but not very original in that sense. But Bizel. It actually means in the shadow of God's protection. And we need to think about this when the parents perhaps naming this man. We don't know how old he was at this time. We do know that when Moses was born, that Pharaoh had decreed that every male child should be killed or cast into the Nile. And thus, amid the Egyptian captivity, Biziel's parents Trusted in God's protection, protective hand over their son's life. It reminds, reminded me of Jeremiah 1 5, a verse that has come to the forefront in our culture today with the, what seems to be a coming decision of the Roe versus Wade uh, case from 49 years ago. But Jeremiah 1 5 reminds us God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah here specifically but I think it can be tied to so many before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I sanctified you I ordained you a prophet to the nations now that part I ordained you a prophet to the nation that is for Jeremiah specifically but I think for all who are birthed on this earth God would say, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And for many, he would go on to say, before you were born, I sanctified you. Sanctified to be set apart or consecrated unto the Lord. And here, Bizziel is consecrated, set apart by God to be an artisan to the nation, not a prophet to the nations, but an artisan, a, a builder. A very skilled craftsman, and no doubt Biziel being spirit-filled, his giftings were refined, no doubt, in Egypt itself, uh, building Pharaoh's supply cities of Pithom and Ramses in Exodus 1:11. And God often uses people learned. In the skills of this world and secular environment sometimes, who once are saved, he can use those skills for the glory of God. God will often train us up in very unique ways, in very unique places in this world. But we can hone the skills. So gifted, no doubt, but perhaps learning his craft there in Egypt while he was enslaved with his people there. But beyond that, Biziel was filled with the Spirit of God, filled with all wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and workmanship to lead the building of the tabernacle. So the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, that there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So God gifts us to use the gifts that the Lord has given us for the profit of all, for Biziel He was filled with God's spirit, not to preach, not to prophesy, but to build. Some guys, sometimes God calls people to be builders, not just preachers. So a another gifted artisan that in verses 6 through 11 came along as an assistant he says, verses six through eleven, I, indeed I, and God speaking, have appointed with him a holy lib, the son of Ahishamash, the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you: In the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testament, the mercy seat that is on it. All the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand and all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all of its utensils, the Levere and the, its base, and the garments of the ministry. And the holy garments for Aaron and the priests, and the garments for his sons to minister as priests, the anointing oil, the sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I've commanded you, they shall do. So God just didn't give Moses blueprints and specifications there on the mountain. He prepared people who would have an understanding of what to do, when they would get a hold of the blueprints and get a hold of the specifications, and they would know exactly what to do, and he gifted two men to lead the work there. So a holy lib, his name not so impressive, like the other name that we learned of in the shadow of God's protection. a holy lib, His name meant father's tent. And I looked that up under several different lexicons to see if somebody had a different opinion, but that's pretty much it. The father's tent. He was from the tribe of Dan, and he, along with all the gifted artisans, were empowered by God to make everything that had been laid out to Moses by God there on the holy mountain. The Bible reminds us in Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I believe, I strongly believe that God does have a work for each of us to do. Sometimes there is a time of discovery, what that work might be, a time of learning, a time of growing. But I do believe that we are God's workmanship. I believe that he has created us in Christ Jesus for good works, that these have been prepared for us, that we should walk in these works. So God calls and gifts each of us with our own unique gifts or giftings that his work, his will might be done in and through our lives. And, And I like that what I read earlier that the manifestation of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12:7, is given to each one for the profit of all. So we work together with the giftings that the Lord gives us, and it benefits the whole community of Christ where we serve. And often it's been the case, and, well, I grew up, attending church my whole life. I've never not attended a fellowship, a church, and I've been part of many different churches um, as a child, the church that I was raised in till my dad was called into the ministry, and then uh, from the age of 12 until 23 in the church that he pastored, and then a church over in Libertyville from, let's see, from 23 to thirty years old I was over there and then called to be an assistant pastor in Zion from thirty to thirty two years old and then making our way out to California to Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa from the ages of thirty two to thirty four and then back over to Zion trying to get a work going over there and ultimately ending up here. And then when I played in a Christian band from the age of 17 to 27, we often played in a variety of different churches, different denominations, non-denominational church, different styles of worship. But I've often discovered in many of those churches that I've been part of or have been able to observe that often there's just a, a small percentage of the church body actually doing the work. But a church functions then at its best when each one with the giftings received by God is using those giftings for the profit of all. So verses 12 through 17, we find a perpetual covenant actually closing out most of this chapter, fairly short chapter in Exodus 31, reminding them of the Sabbath. But I want you to note that the Lord calls it my Sabbath in verse 13. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 13, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So before God sent Moses down from the mountain, Moses been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He might be at this point getting a little hungry, thinking, Lord, it's time for dinner, isn't it? It's been 40 days. I don't know if he had those hunger pains. I was listening to the founder of Calvary Chapel Movement uh, this week while I was working around the church, and he was talking about fasting and saying that once you go on an extended fast and your hunger pains leave you in the initial beginning of the fast he's, so pastor Chuck was saying he said also though I've never experienced this so he's never done those extended fasts. he said once the hunger pains return you need to eat cuz it's your body saying it's time to eat lest you die so it's important and no doubt we think forty days who could do that I had a friend that I went to the School of Ministry with, and I was out in California at one of the pastors' conference, and Harris was there as well, and, man, did he look skinny and fit. And I said, what have you been doing? He, he always looked fit, but um, he looked really lean. And he said, well, I just got finished with a 40-day pet fast, and in their community, pastors were tag-teaming these fasts. And so he picked up from another pastor who did 40 days and another pastor after him as they were praying for their community. Pretty impressive. I've never done such a thing like that, but the Lord called it his Sabbath. So before he sent Moses down the mountain, he reminded him of the fourth commandment, which was way back in Exodus 20 verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy Having already gone into great detail about the Sabbath day in chapter 20, by reiterating this command, God grew greater attention to the importance of Israel's obedience. And God added greater weight to this commandment by calling them my Sabbaths. These are mine, and I want to share them with you. God claimed the Sabbath day as his And it made me think of what often we find in Scripture, the Lord's Day. And maybe some days we call Sundays the Lord's Day. Of course, we know the Sabbath technically from sunset on Friday night until sunset on Saturday night for the Jewish people. But he said in verses 14 through 17, You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, seventh day he rested and was refreshed. I don't know how tired God got in creating the whole world in six days, but I like that. He rested and was refreshed. I would assume that the Israelis that came out of the Egyptian captivity had never really truly known a day's rest but here God said this is a sign between me and you that should be kept for all generations that the people of God would also rest and be refreshed and we need uh, refreshment in that sense of being able to regroup, rethink, and start a new week again, but to spend time with the Lord, uh, to wait upon the Lord, to anticipate in a week where we might spend the week just toiling and laboring, trying to get the things done that's um, on the schedule in our lives, to take that one day out of the week, to take a break, to wait upon the Lord, to want to hear from the Lord, sometimes can give us fresh perspective that gets us into the next week. So God twice called keeping the Sabbath a sign between himself and the children of Israel. He said it was going to be kept perpetually throughout all their generations. So important was the law of the Sabbath that Sabbath breakers were to be put to death. And today no one that I know of are put to death for breaking the Sabbath laws today. But many Jews and some Christians do strive to keep this perpetual covenant with God. Sadly, in Jesus' day, the religious rulers turned the Sabbath into a day of tradition, obligation, and burdens, and it was not a day of rest for the people of God. It was not a day of rest and refreshing and worship. Perhaps this is why God said to the religious rulers in Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. As they were complaining to Jesus because his disciples were snacking on some wheat kernels. Nothing major. They weren't actually harvesting. They were just pulling a few heads of wheat crushing them in their hand and, and blowing the chaff away to chew on the substance of that wheat. But they were accused of doing work on the Sabbath for doing that. And Jesus responded that the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So as Christians, I do not believe that we are bound to the Sabbath day. But Paul did teach us this in Romans 14, 5 and 6. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. Every day is the Lord's day. And we may have one day in the week that we make special to the Lord, but Really, Paul talking about the conviction of the individual. But as believers in Jesus Christ, whether we're worshiping or working, we are to observe every day as unto the Lord. Every day is the Lord's day. That's because it is the Lord who sanctifies, who consecrates, who sets us apart for his glory. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful and will also do it. The Lord sanctifies us through the blood of Jesus Christ, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He empowers us, our whole spirit, soul, and body, that we might serve the Lord. And seeing that Jesus has sanctified us, we, in turn, should live for his glory. So verse 18, closing out this chapter, Exodus 31, in one verse, he says, And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, God gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God, Moses' session with God comes to a close. Forty days and forty nights up on the mount there with the Lord. And God gave him two stone tablets that were written upon by the very finger of God. Today, God writes his story on our hearts, according to Hebrews 10:16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. So God is still writing, but now he writes it on the tablets of our hearts, puts his commandments in our very minds. But as God had equipped Bizael, Holalib, and the gifted artisans, he continues to equip believers today. It has been said that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips those whom he calls. And I can attest to that. 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11. As each one of you receive a gift, minister to it one another as good stewards, of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, if God gifts us, then we are to use those giftings for his glory and for the good of the brothers and sisters and those who do not even believe. It is the power of God's Holy Spirit that equips us in this life. And we have the promise of God in Acts 1.8 that says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So whether a prophet, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist, a worship leader, a builder, a Sunday school teacher... Whatever God has gifted us to be, we all need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be equipped by God for the work and hone those skills and get them better, but use them for the glory of God and for the good of others. I think personally that is such an important part of the body of Christ in the church coming together, to work together, to serve one another, um, and uh, to be that for the body of Christ, to take the weight off of individuals, sometimes who are overwhelmed by the service that they do for the Lord, and to come alongside others. Sometimes it's training up others uh, to get them into that place of coaching or mentoring It's so important for the body of Christ to work in this way. God equips us, he calls us, he calls us to work for his glory. So chapter 32, not a beautiful chapter, but a truthful chapter. While Moses is up on the mountain 40 days experiencing this wonderful Glorious time with the Lord, receiving from the Lord all these things that the God would have for the children of Israel. And the children of Israel were, well, the delay of 40 days and 40 nights down in the valley turned into a great depravity in verses 1. In verse 1 it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said, come. Make us gods that shall go before us. For as this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So again, Moses, he's in a good place. He's in the presence of God. But while that is happening, the children of Israel fell into an inglorious depravity against the Lord. The saddest part, that after the people cried out to Aaron to make them gods that might go before them, Aaron participated in their rebellion. I was reading a commentator today who was trying to make excuses for Aaron. I don't want to make excuses for him. It seems like he was taking the people down a path that they should not be going. And you can maybe read into a little of this. The people said, make us gods, plural. Aaron would say, here is the God, singular. But we cannot get around the fact that in chapter 24, that Moses, before he ascended up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, Forty nights he came down and he spoke to the people. He shared with the people the things of God and gave them the commandments of God, which they said that they would do. So Aaron knew what the Lord wanted. So the children of Israel they had agreed to the Ten Commandments when Moses related them to the people. Exodus twenty-four, three. All the words of the Lord had said we will do so Moses even wrote out God's commandment in what is called the book of the covenant Exodus 24 and then he read the book in the hearing of the people Exodus 20 verses 3 through 5 part of that commandment no doubt, the Ten Commandments now God would give Moses the copy written by the hand of God but Moses had already relayed these to the people of Israel And the two of those commandments, Exodus 23, you shall have no other gods before me. Exodus 24, you shall not make for yourself any carved image. So they should know better at this point. And for a second time, Exodus 24, 3, all that the Lord had said, we will do and be obedient. They twice said, we're going to obey the Lord. But... Their commitment could not last for a mere 40 days. I don't know. I've seen people, uh, and maybe I've been guilty of it myself, that my commitment can't even go 24 hours sometimes. So, Lord, I'm going to do this, and, and I fail quickly. That, I don't know if we can get too harsh on them. For what they did, though, they went way beyond... What was allowable? So Aaron said, verses two through four, break off your golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings, which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a golden calf. I threw the golden in there. I know it's gold. But, and made a molding calf. And they said, This is your God. They said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So I don't know if they included Aaron at this point, but it's a singular God, El, not Elohim, plural. They had asked for the gods, and now they, this is your God fashioning this golden calf with the people proclaiming it as the God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt and Aaron even went on to build an altar to proclaim a feast Aaron saw it he built an altar before them he proclaimed a feast on the next day a feast to the Lord so Yahweh YHWH here used in scripture verse 5 So some commentators saying that Aaron was trying to direct the people back to worshiping the Lord. But it doesn't sound like a a Lord's type worship service. As on the next day, they rose early in the morning, offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. So that line, they rose up to play, um, can speak of. It became a very lustful and sexual time in the camp. Acts 7.41, Stephen said, When they made the calf in those days, they offered sacrifices to the idol. He called it what it was. It was an idol. And they rejoiced over the work of their hands. I think far too often we might rejoice over the work of our hands as well. There is always a danger there. When God delivered Israel from Egypt, he gave them everything necessary for life. But Israel rejected his rule over them. Therefore, they forced Aaron to make them these gods of gold, offering sacrifices, rejoicing over the work of their own hands. And Paul used this in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 7, saying, Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So Paul used this account from Exodus 32 as an example to the church in Corinth and to all the church of Christ, saying, this is an example of what we are not to do. So 7 through 14, the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molding calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that had brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Verse 10, now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? with great power and with a mighty hand why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them to kill them in the mountains to consume them from the face of the earth to turn turn them from your fierce wrath relent from this harm to your people verse 13 remember Abraham Isaac and Israel or Jacob Abraham Isaac and Jacob but it inserted the word Israel here the name given to Jacob by God, your servants whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your descendants as the star of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So reminding the Lord of his own promises and they had not yet inherited the promised land so the Lord relented from the harm which he had said he would do to his people so this is really this is not Moses trying to convince God not to destroy Israel this is really a beautiful picture of an intercessor intercessor who Moses appealing to God on behalf of the wayward people God seemed ready to allow his wrath to come upon the children of Israel He described them as a stiff-necked people. And even though God said he would destroy Israel and make a great nation of Moses, Moses interceded in behalf of the nation by reminding God how God had delivered Israel from Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Verse 11. Then Moses acknowledged how bad it would look to the other nations if God then destroyed Israel there in the wilderness and the mountains. And finally, Moses looked back to God's everlasting covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it says, So the Lord relented. So what does it mean when God relents? This Hebrew word means to sigh to breathe out strongly, or to be sorry. Whenever we read of God relenting, it's always because of God's repentance. So as parents, I think we can understand this Hebrew word for relent for those of us who are parents or maybe you have gone through this in your relationships with others. And you see something that happens, it's so hard, it's difficult, and you just kind of, you breathe out this, oh. It just kind of comes from the gut, comes from the heart. You know you got to deal with something, but it's just kind of wrecking you a little bit on the inside. That's a little bit of the sense behind this word. G. Campbell Morgan said of this, so when a man turns from or repents of his wickedness, God turns from his proposed judgment, which in itself was love-inspired. So when man repents, and God turns from the judgment that he has announced. And just like us, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death according to the word of God. But if we repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ, then we have life in the name of Jesus Christ. Jonah 4.2 So Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness. kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah just knew, Lord, this is your character. You are a God that is abundant with loving kindness. You are slow to anger. You are gracious. You are merciful. You relent from doing harm. So although Aaron and the children of Israel had already turned away from the Lord God who had delivered them from Egypt and sustained them in the wilderness... Moses had not therefore Moses interceded on behalf of his people he recounted the very nature of God and the promises of God and I think it's good personally to pray back the promises of God not because we're trying to change the mind of God but I think when we pray back scripture to the Lord and the promises of God to the Lord it helps us to have the mind of Christ just as Moses had for his own rebellious people. So he came down off the mountain. We learned something here. I thought this was interesting, verses 15 and and 16. Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On one side and on the other side they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God and were written by the writing of God engraved on the tablets. I thought it was interesting that back when I was in Sunday school as a junior, before I was a teenager, we were in a boys' Sunday school class and we made a craft, a ceramic of the Ten Commandments. And, you know, it's kind of this very similar thing that we often see. The two, to- two tablets joined together in the middle as one with the Ten Commandments uh, written, you know, five on one side, five on the other. But here in verse 15, it tells us two tablets God wrote on both sides. So the back side of my ceramic Ten Commandments, it, it was nothing back there. It wasn't written on both sides. So unique. Just interesting to me. Um, these Moses would quickly destroy, as we will see. But they were written by the finger of God. Deuteronomy 5.22, these words the Lord spoke to all your assembly. In the mountain, from the midst of the fire, and the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, he added no more. He wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And today, God writes that story on our hearts. As I said earlier, I quoted a different passage earlier, but this one from 2 Corinthians 3.3, Paul said, Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered to us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, no doubt referring to the Ten Commandments, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. So, a clear reference by Paul to the Ten Commandments as God wrote on these two stone tablets on both sides, in the commandments of the Lord. Now, He writes those commandments on our very heart. So, Moses coming down the mountain now. And he meets Joshua. You remember Moses, 40 days later, earlier, had left Joshua halfway up the mountain. And Joshua is still there. I don't know if he was like hunting and camping for 40 days. It doesn't tell us that Joshua went into a fast. But he is just, he is something. And we get into the account of Joshua as we go through um exodus and numbers and deuteronomy and especially the book of joshua we'll see a man that he stayed near to the lord god he stayed near to the leader of god's people and god used him in mighty ways but here he is he's an assistant to moses he waited for moses and he said verse 17 saying this to moses there's the noise of war in the camp but Moses said, verse 18, It is not the noise of a shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Although Aaron and many of the children of Israel had fell into apostasy, Joshua remained at his post for 40 days and 40 nights. If only Aaron and her whom Moses gave the responsibility to watch over, watch over the children of Israel. If only they had remained so faithful. Moses had said in Exodus 24, 13 and 14, Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty... Let him go to them. So Moses left the children of Israel in good hands. At least he thought he did. Joshua said, there's a noise of war in the camp. Moses said, no, it's not war. It's not victory. It's singing. But actually, it was war. In the sense of not a physical war, but there was definitely spiritual war going on there. First Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So remember, I think it was healthy for Moses. He had interceded on behalf of the children of Israel before God. God relented of the harm that he was going to do to the children of Israel, even though God will punish them. But Moses had not seen the depravity that they had fell into until we get to verses 19 through 24. So it was. As soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. He cast the tablets out of his hands. He broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made. He burned it in the fire. He ground it into powder. He scattered it on the water. He made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon this people? So Moses didn't let his older brother get off on this one. It's okay, Aaron. I know they, they complain a lot. I, sometimes I want to give in to him too. He's like, no, what did this people do to you that you have brought? And so Moses condemned Aaron right along with them. So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, you know they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods that should go before us out as this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. Kind of Moses, it's kind of your fault. You're gone for 40 days, you know. And he said, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. I cast it in the fire, and out came this calf. He kind of made it sound so simple. Just threw him in. Calf came out. Wasn't me. He kind of missed that part earlier where it tells us that he received the gold and then, with the engraving tool, made the molding calf. Yeah. He was angry. And I think if Moses had not interceded in behalf of Israel while he was up on the mountain, if he hadn't had such a heartfelt prayer to the Lord prior to coming and seeing what was taking place, his anger may have been even hotter. The Bible reminds us, Ephesians four, twenty six and twenty-seven, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, the Hebrew word means to let loose, to run wild. Moses broke the stone tablets, ground them into powder, mixed them with water. He melted down the golden calf, made the people drink them. Paul tells us, though, be angry and do not sin. Ephesians four twenty-six. So it is possible to have a righteous anger. He also warns... Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. So even if your anger is righteous, if it's not checked, it can often lead to sin. I fear that we may become angry. We may give place to the devil if we do not deal with situations right away. But sometimes we need to wait before dealing with things. So we need to have wisdom in these areas. The one thing we want to avoid is to allow Satan to have a foothold in our lives. James 1.19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. Slow to wrath, verse 20. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Swift to hear, slow to speak. Slow to wrath. We have a population today that Every day there seems to be a new thing to be mad about. And we'll have a new uh, whatever your profile might be on your social media page. And you can be. uh, Go from one thing to the next, one thing to the next. Different profiles, all supporting all these causes. And then a a day will go by, a week will go by, and then you'll have a new cause. Never accomplish anything, by the way. Just a lot of people with a lot of different causes. They get angry about a lot. But I have to say, in their anger, they're allowing and giving place to the devil. And it's an occasion for God to pull us into sin. We could be angry because of... uh, the abortion issue that's going on in our nation right now. And, and there is a righteous side of that anger. And there are those who are attacking churches, attacking political leaders. Um, someone that we have heard speak on stand up for the truth with David Fiorazzo, one of the frequent guests that he has had off and on over the years, uh, their abortion, their not an abortion clinic, but they fight for life there in Madison being uh, firebombed this past weekend. There is righteous anger and a right way to conduct ourselves. There's also a cost of sin. Verses 25 through 29. When Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame among their enemies. People were watching. Then Moses stood at the entrance of the camp, entrance of the camp, and he said, Who's ever on the Lord's side, come to me? And the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him, and said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side and go into the camp in and out. From the entrance to entrance throughout the camp, let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did, according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men fell that day. And Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow it upon you. And the blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother." So he called for the people, who's going to stand with the Lord? And the tribe of Levi, the Levites came and answered the call. They went out in the camp and they executed nearly 3,000 that day. Romans 6:23 tells us, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin has its cost. And they realized the high cost of their sin that day. But for the faithfulness of the tribe of Levi, God set them aside apart from the nation of Israel that they might serve him at his tabernacle. And so we'll learn about this with the tribe of Levi, that not only Aaron, which is an amazing thing, that Aaron, even though he was part of this, God still um, God's grace is so big. He still had him consecrated as the high priest there in Israel. And in that consecration process, there was the sacrifice of the sin offering. And Aaron's sins then had been forgiven by the Lord and would become the high priest. And Aaron, part of the tribe of Levi and the Levites themselves, serving in the nation of Israel. So verses 30 through 35, closing out, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will not forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. So Moses, he had a hot anger, but once again, he's praying to the Lord. Lord, if you do not forgive, I know this is what they did. They made this God of gold. But if you don't forgive their sin, then blot me out of your book. Moses came a long way from killing an Egyptian at the age of 40, from telling God to send someone else at the age of 80, and now saying, Lord, just blot me out. I don't even want to go to heaven if you're not going to forgive them thankfully God would not allow this God went on to say verse 33 to 35 whoever has sinned against me I will blot him out of my book therefore go lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you behold my angel shall go before you nevertheless in the day when I visit for punishment I will visit punishment upon them for their sin God said don't worry Moses I'm gonna punish them it's coming and the 3,000 dead was not the ultimate punishment of this. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So God let Moses know that it was an impossibility in the sense for him to blot Moses saying, blot my name out of your book. God said, no, each person's responsible for their own sins. Paul had this similar attitude in Romans 9, 3. He said, For I wish that I myself... He just said, I wish. He knew it was impossible. I wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brother and my countrymen, according to the flesh. Moses called your book. He said, Blot me out of your book. God responded, I won't blot you out of my book Now, some scholars believe that the book that he was referring to here was in a figurative sense. But we do know that there is a book, a book of life, that's seen in the book of Revelation, chapters 20, verses 12 and 15. It's mentioned more than this, but these are two verses where it is named Revelation 20:12. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were open, and another book was opened. It was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, and the things that were written in the books. In verse 15, if anyone is not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. So he said, my book, there is a book. He also said, my angel. God first promised to send his angel back in chapter 23, saying, I will send my angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared, to bring you to the promised land, my angel. Many believe that this is referring to Christ himself going before them in the wilderness. And he referred to the calf that Aaron made. The Lord was angry with Aaron. And according to Deuteronomy 9:20 20 and 21, would have destroyed him. Deut- Deuteronomy 9, 20 and 21, the Lord was very angry with Aaron, would have destroyed him. And Moses said, so I prayed for Aaron also at that time. Then I took your sin and the calf which you have made, burned it in the fire, crushed it, grounded it in very small Until it was fine as dust and threw it into the brook that descended from the mountain, made them drink from that brook. But Moses reminded the second generation before they went into the promised land God was so angry with Aaron, he would have destroyed him. But I prayed for Aaron also. We need to understand that in the prayers of others, can be so significant in people's lives to be prayer warriors, praying for the needs of others. You never know what God's going to do because of those prayers. So God's grace, Aaron went on to become, as I said earlier, the high priest of Israel. God is not only a God of vengeance, but according to Psalm 99.8, he is the God who forgives. So I, I have to confess, I, I don't want my name blotted out of the book of life. For the sake of this wayward nation, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. Yeah, I want to see America come to faith, people that come to faith in Jesus Christ. But I don't want to give up my place as Moses prayed. But God did not require it from Moses, nor did he require it from Paul. He doesn't require it from you or from me. What he does require, though, is that we would overcome in this life, overcome by our faith in Jesus Christ. Revelation 3, 5, as we close out tonight's teaching. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Secondly, we are to love God and to love our neighbors. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And though it is through this type of love that we get a glimpse of God's great love that he has bestowed upon us through our intercessor, Jesus Christ. John fifteen thirteen reminds us, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for one's friend. And Father, we thank you, Lord, in this account of thee. Now, these two chapters tonight, Lord, and... Not to forget Exodus 31, how you gifted artisans to build the tabernacle and all the instruments and the furnishings of the tabernacle, the clothing for the priest. Lord, you gifted them, you called them. And they were skilled craftsmen, artisans. And yet they were called by you. They were not necessarily preachers, although they may have preached. But, Lord, you gift us each one in different ways. Help us, Lord, to use those giftings for your glory. And with the golden calf, Lord, it reminds us of how quickly we can stray away from you when we get out of the routine of life. For them, the routine was seeing Moses before them, leading them. But with Moses being absent... It makes me think of people who are absent from the church. They stop going to church. Many have over the last couple of years. And they fall into depravity. And yet, Lord, you can redeem, you can forgive, even those who commit great sins, like I believe Aaron did here, and how he led and participated with the people. Still, your blood covered him. He was forgiven And he became the high priest of Israel. So, Lord, we too are people who are prone to sin. But your grace is big. Your mercy is great. Forgive us, Lord, I pray. Help us to serve one another. Be filled with your spirit. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Be praying for uh, Calvary Chapel Oak Grove, some of the guys from our church. We're going up to the men's retreat on Friday and Saturday. And it's going all the way through Sunday morning. But pray for that this weekend as the men gather together to wait upon the Lord and to learn from the Lord. And then Sunday here at the church, we're continuing our journey through the chronological journey through the Gospels. So. Uh, This coming week we're going to be looking at probably a bit of all four Gospels as we uh, begin to learn about Jesus' time up in the Galilee as he began to minister to the people there. And we'll find ourselves uh, beginning there in Nazareth and the call of God that comes from, we find it in Luke chapter 4, but the call comes from Isaiah chapter 61. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me. And uh, Jesus proclaims those words to the people of Nazareth there in the synagogue of Nazareth. Though he is rejected by them, he is received by many. And so, look forward to being with you, either here, through our social media page. I'll just uh, throw it out there, I learned Sunday. We have a podcast now, so if you want to look us up, um, tonight's message will be in the podcast. And if you look up your podcast, whatever device you might have, Android or an Apple, look up the Cleansing Word podcast, and you'll find us there. Cleansing Word podcast, Little Dove, and you'll find us there. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.